Okay, thank you everybody for tuning in. We are continuing our shiur on the tefillah. This uh, particular shiur, we are in the sidur, on the section of Birkat HaMazon. We finished most of the standard uh, prayers and we are now holding in the Birkat HaMazon. We studied previously in the previous shiurim the history of Birkat HaMazon in general and the history of uh, Zimun and Birkat Hazan, as well as the text itself. And tonight we are up to what's known as Birkat Haaretz, the blessing over the land. And this is the second blessing, which we're familiar with as Nodelcha Hashem Elokeinu. So I'm going to assume the, the, I guess the viewership or the audience is is familiar already with most of the history that we covered, namely how the bracha has biblical origins and eventually the first traces of it becoming standardized in any form were from the 3rd and 2nd centuries, and sorry, the 2nd and 1st centuries. And finally, we have the era of the Tanaim in the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd centuries where even more development of the text occurred. Most of much, sorry, not most, much of the data that we have about the early development of Birkat HaMazon exists in the Mishnah and in the Gemara of Brachot, Daf Memchet Amud Bet and Memtet Amud Aleph. So, let's begin with a very basic fact, which is that the Gemara over there says that the Pasuk says, That you should eat, and you should be satiated, and you will then bless Hashem um, on the, and for the good land which He gave to you, or which He will give to you. Now, this pasuk is dissected by the Gemara to mean to uh, represent all three or four of the brachot of Birkat Hamazon, and the pasuk is saying very clearly that the bracha has to include not just the bracha on the safi, on the on this on this the fact that you're satisfied from eating the bracha also has to include a bracha a blessing or a thanks for Hashem's giving to us the land that Hashem gave to us Eretz Yisrael and specifically Rav Nachman says on daf memchet tamudbet Rav Nachman is one of the Amoraim he says that the first bracha as we saw many times Moshe instituted the format for the first bracha should be called Birchat Hazan when the man fell for the Jewish people in the desert. And Yehoshua instituted the blessing of the land when they entered the land and they crossed the Jordan. <clears throat> the Jordan River. So now, one thing that is uh, that stands out about Birkat Haaretz is that even though the Pasuk says, the land which Hashem gave to us, even when we're not dwelling on it permanently, even in the Galut, we still have this obligation to say Birkat Haaretz, even though we do not have uh, the Beit HaMikdash and we are not permanent residents <coughs> or conquerors of Eretz Yisrael, we don't have Mashiach, we still say Birkat Haaretz. And the Kafah Chaim says, based on a Zohar in Kufpe, in the Kafah Chaim in Kufpe Zayin Yud Aleph, 
He says that the Zohar explains that all of the bracha in the world is noveid. It flows from Eretz Yisrael and it flows from the Kodesh HaKadashim. <coughs> and therefore, even though we no longer have the Beit HaMikdash and we no longer have the Kodesh HaKadashim, still all of the blessing in the world depends on Eretz Yisrael and all of the blessing in the world flows from Eretz Yisrael in a metaphysical sense. And therefore, it is still appropriate for us to say Birkata Aretz, because that is from where the Jewish people's blessing and material blessing will flow. Now, in order to understand more about Birkata Aretz, uh, this second bracha of, of, of Birkata Mazon, we're going to have to see a, uh, quite a bit of Gemara together. And so if one is listening, they can pull out a Gemara and Brachot Tafmem Chetamud Bet. We're going to be skipping, out, skipping around a little bit. Um, we're just going to be skipping over the things that are not nogeat, that are not relevant tonight. And I'm going to share my screen for those who are um, participating live. So here we go. <clears throat> Let's just scroll down here to the bottom, if my scroll will be so nice as to work. Okay, here we go. We first saw the Minayin uh, Liberkata Torah, the Torah, and we see we see over here the Gemara. According to all the Shittot, says Al Haaretz Uberkata Aretz. Now let's move down a little bit on the Daf, the bottom of the page. Tanya, we learned in a Brayta. Rebeliezer Omer, Rebeliezer, who was a first-century Tana, right? He lived around the first century. Rebeliezer ben Hurkanah said as follows: Kol shelo amar Eretz Hemda Tova Urechava, Uberkata Aretz. We have a first century Tanner, Beliezer, qualifying the actual text of Birkat Amazon and what it should say. And that a person has to say that it's Eretz Hemda Tova Ruchava, right? Desirable, a good, uh, has, it's, uh, how would you say, uh, spread out? What's the article definition here? Let me just uh, cheat for a second. Desirable, good, and spacious land, right? If a person doesn't say that, he is not yotzei his chovah. He is not. He does not fulfill his obligation of the second bracha. And if he doesn't say malchut in, in bonei yishlaim, which is the third bracha, also he's not yotzei. And we'll discuss that next week. Nachum hazaken omer. Nachum hazaken says, and it's not clear who Nachum hazaken is. It's possible that he is Nachum hamadi, in which case he would be quite old because. Uh, uh, he also lived during the time of the second Beit Hamikdash. Tzarich ba birit. He also has to mention in it the covenant, which is Brit Milah. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Rabbi Yossi says, Tzarich ba Torah, that he also has to mention in it uh, that Hashem gave us the Torah. And Rashi explains that both the Brit Milah and the Nitinat Torah and the giving of the Torah were preconditions for us receiving Eretz Yisrael. If we did not accept the mitzvot of Brit Milan, we did not accept the Torah, we would have never been able to enter Eretz Yisrael. And that's why we have to say those in the Berkat Ha'aretz, because in a blessing about the land, we also have to mention the things for which we merited the land. As we're going to see Rashi up here, Rashi says, Babrit, um, Right after Hashem commanded him for the Brit Milah, Hashem also told him that you would you will then uh, inherit the land, uh, your children after you. 
Yarshua ta'aret shenemar, as the Pasuk says, Lamante hayun urbitem ubatem irashtem Beautiful. Now we have a quote in the Baita from another person named Plemo. Plemo is an anonymous Tana. We don't know who he was. Uh, we don't know what his name means. We don't know where he lived. It seems that he was a Talmud of Rebbe, meaning that he would have, would have lived in Eretz Yisrael. He also uh, interacted with people in Bavel, so possibly he moved to Bavel. Um, but some actually think that Plemo is just another way of saying Plony, that he was an anonymous Tana, that for some reason his name was, was obscured by the Gemara. It's very unclear who he was. Uh, nevertheless, the Plemo says, brit The Braithav quotes him as saying that we also have to, uh, pu- uh, what's the word, place uh, the mention of Brit, of the Brit Milah, before the mention of the, of the Torah. Why? For the, for, uh, because the Torah was given to Klai Yisrael with three times the mention of the covenant. Um, Rashi goes into every pasuk precisely how you know that, and I don't want to get too technical. There's Rashi here, there's there's uh, Haigaon, as Oshel mentioned, is having his own system for understanding how, it doesn't say the word Brit, covenant, explicitly in the pasuk, so they both try to break down exactly where that comes from. And then we have the, the Playmo goes on to say, that However, Brit Milah, it says the word Brit 13 times in the Torah, and therefore it is superior, and therefore we say Brit Milah before Torah. So to some degree, Brit Milah has some superiority over the Torah. Okay. Rabbi Abba Omer, Rabbi Abba says, now this is the same Braita talking, and I quote somebody named, well, just uh, allowing Gary in. Okay, so this Braita is, is unique in the sense that it's one of the very few Braitot in Shas which mention a Tana by the name of Rabbi Abba. So if you look in the Sefer Ha'aruch, who's one of the Rishonim who wrote a dictionary-like guide for Shas, the Aruch says that Rabbi Abba is actually Rav, the Talmud of Rebbe. And Rabbi, uh, Re- Rav's name was Abba Richa. And the Aruch doesn't just make this up on his own. He brings this as a Mesorah from of Hai Gaon, from the, already from the, from the Geonim, that Rabbi Abba would be Rav. And this is one of the rare Braitot where the, the first Amora or the last Tanad, Rav, is mentioned. There's a few Braitot like this, maybe three or four in the entire Shas where Rav is mentioned. And this is going to be important soon, that the identity of this person, according to, to the Aruch, and according to Hai Gaon, is Rav. Okay. The first memoir we have from Rav regarding this Birkat uh, Aretz is that you have to say Hoda'ah, thanks for the land, the beginning and the end. What does that mean? That you have to say thanks in the beginning and the end? The beginning you say No Dalacha Hashem Elkeinu. And then at the end, you say, right? You say thanks twice at the beginning and at the end. So, and then he begins to qualify his own statement. A person should not do, uh, a person halachically should not uh, praise Hashem less than once. And if a person doesn't do Hoda'a in the Birkat Aretz, that is uh, reprehensible. <clears throat> it seems that Rav believed that inherent in the bracha of Birkata Aretz was not just a blessing to bless Hashem to, for, for giving us the land. This blessing has to uh, specifically say that we're thanking Hashem for the land. Okay. 
here we go. V'cholachotem. Lastly, the last part. V'cholachotem manchil aratzot b'perkata aris u'moshiat yisob b'panei shalim harayze bor. Fine. So a person should not end the bracha with manchil aratzot. Baruch manchil aratzot. Blessed is the one who who gives inheritance of lands. So our version of ending the berkata mazon, the berkata aratz, as we say, Baruch Hashem al haaretz ve'al hamazon. Apparently, in the time of Rabbi Abba, there were those who would end Baruch HaManchil Aratzot. Blessed is the one who gave inheritance of the lands. And he considered this to be a boorish, uh, you know, like a, an ignorant thing to do. Why? So the Beit Yosef suggests, and this is also in Kuf Zayin, the Beit Yosef suggests that it's true that Hashem does decide and give uh uh, give out lands to every single nation, but that's not the point of this bracha. It's it's true, but it isn't relevant. The relevance here is that Hashem gave us particularly the land of Eretz Yisrael, and that's what's special about Eretz Yisrael to us as a nation. Okay, so now we're going to again skip a little bit further down to find another Gemara on the page, Memtet Amud Aleph 49a, which is relevant uh, to our uh, to our bracha tonight. Here we go. This is an interesting story here with Rav Chista. Uh, give me a second for my eyes to find it. Here we go. Amar Leir Bizeira Rav Chista. It's about midway in the page. Rav Zera said to Rav Chista, Rav Zera asked Rav Chista, one Amara asking the other, please come, my master, and teach us some Gemara. Amar Leir, he said to him in kind of like a seemingly depressing way, Birkat mizona lo gamrina. I don't even know how to say Birkat mazon. Um, and I'm supposed to teach Gemara. Amar le my high is like, what's this all about? Amar le, so he replied to him, Gluta. I went to the, visited the house of the Reish Gluta, meaning the, the the prestigious president of the Jewish community. Ubrichi Birkat mizona. And I was chosen to read the Berkat Mizona, the, the Berkat Mazon for the group. And Rav Sheshet, who was his superior, apparently, you know, stiffened his neck next to him like a serpent. That Rav, that Rav Sheshet was, was, was noticeably upset with the way that he was saying Berkat Mazon. And he like, you know, hovered over him like a dangerous serpent, which is, you know, <laughs> passive aggressive. Ve'amai, why was he so mean to you? Delo amri lo brit v'lo Torah, I didn't mention brit, I didn't mention Torah, and I didn't mention malchut. Apparently his nusach was an early nusach, which didn't require these three uh, mentions. Ve'amai lo amrit, why didn't you say them? He answered, Kidarav Hananel amarav. Like if Hananel said in the name of Rav, the Amar of Hananel Amarav, Lo Amar Brit Vitoral Malchut Yatsa. Person who doesn't say Brit Toran Malchut is Yotse. Why? Brit, you don't have to say Brit Milah, Levisha in a Benashim, because women are not Chayavot. The Gemara gets egalitarian. This bracha is for men and for women. This Birkat Amazon has an equal obligation for men or women. So if women are going to say this, and they're the other half of the people saying Birkat Amazon, there's no reason for, for us to include Brit Milah in the Bracha, because women are not obligated. Torah and Malchut, meaning learning Torah is not required by women or by servants, and Malchut of Beit David uh, parallels Malchut Shemayim, which and, and they're not required in Kriyat Shema. Uh, so as, uh, therefore, I did not say it. 
Rav Sheshit got upset and he said, I'm sorry, you just uh, negated all of the previous Tanaim and Amoraim and you did like Rav Hananel B'Shem Rav. So our Gemara says, and you did like Rav. However, the previous Gemara brings Rabbi Ila. Sorry if my eyes aren't finding it right now. But Rabbi Ila brings in the name of Rav that if a person doesn't say these things, then he's also not Yotze. So therefore, we see two conflicting accounts of what Rav meant. Did Rav, did Rav say that a person can do without these, uh, with, can do without these uh, words, Brit Torah Malchut, or do we say that Rav said that you don't have to say them because after all, women and Avadim are the other half of people saying Brikat HaMazon, and um, they are not chayvot in this. I'm sorry. The Rabbeinu. Just my eyes are not finding it right now. Okay, maybe I'll find it soon. Okay, so oh here it is. The Amr Bilab Up there on the top of Okay, so the Rishonim, like the Rashba, explain that this machloket here is basically a contention over how the bracha should be written. Both parties want there to be one uniform universal text. There's just a dissension over how should it be uniform. Should it be uniform in that it should be egalitarian, or should it be uniform in the sense that, yes, it is an, an anthrocentric text, but it, just because it's written from, from the perspective of men doesn't mean we should change it just because uh, some people are women or some people are avadim. So there's two ways of, of looking at this, and the halakha is we keep it with one simple anthrocentric text, um, women can learn Torah if they want to, etc. So it is uh, accepted, the halacha, that we have to say Brit Torah Umalchut. Now, the Rishonim discuss is this actually Le'ikuva? Does this mean halachically that a person really has to say uh, etc.? Does a person really have to say that in order to be Yotze the the chiyuv of Birkat Aretz, what does it mean when it says lo yatsayi So some Rishonim understand that it means this literally, that if a person didn't say these words, he wouldn't fulfill his obligations because this is the matbeah shetavucha chamim. And others say that no, it doesn't mean it literally b'diava. It means that it, you didn't, weren't yotsayi dechovato karaoi. Um, again, these are Tanaic statements. It's not early enough for them to be considered really le'ikuva. And, and, and b'diyevet, if a person forgot some words or accidentally didn't say some words, he wouldn't have to go back. The halacha most likely is safek brachot lahakel, but we wouldn't say safek brachot lahakel by deoraita. So um, most, most likely, if a person knows, if a person is misupak, if he said brit Torah, then he would, uh, he would go back. If he wasn't sure if he actually said etc., um, some of the Rishonim don't hold this way, but but um, the rush definitely seems to paskin, uh, the tour seems to paskin that that it is liyukuva. Okay, so now uh, see also the Ra'a those those are the Rishonim who discussed this. Okay, so now let's um, discuss the nusach of the bracha itself. So, <clears throat> over the past 2,000 years, well, a little more actually, 22, 2,300 years, mm-hmm. many, many changes have happened to this second Bracha Birkat and to Birkat Mazon in general. 
We can see already from this Gemara that there is some early development in the time of the Tanaim. There were many people who did not say Brit, Torah. There were those, according to Rabbi Yezer, Rabbi Yezer says you should say Eretz Chemda Tova So clearly there were people who were not saying certain words. So it's going to behoove us tonight to examine exactly what was that development. How did certain words get added? Why did they retain their permanence? And um, why did they get added? Why did they retain, retain their permanence? And what, in what order did all of this happen? So interestingly, when you, when, when you study Birkat HaMazon in general, there's a plethora of versions of Birkat HaMazon. Really, so, so many. And sometimes what you find is that the Sidurim uh, that are in manuscript, like the manuscript Sidurim, which were never, you know, handwritten Sidurim, which were never printed, often did not have Birkat HaMazon. Birkat HaMazon was something that people were expected to memorize or to sing and memorize, and therefore not every Sidur had Birkat HaMazon written inside of it. And this also lent to the non-canonization of the text, and that it was much more likely for people to add things to previous versions, to add words here or there, than other uh, prayers. Furthermore, one of the more interesting places that you will find Birkat HaMazon is not in the Sidurim, but in Haggadah Shal Pesach. Almost every Jewish home had a Haggadah Shal Pesach of some sort. You know, even if they were, were not the richest, it was still worthwhile for them to buy a manuscript of a Haggadah Shal Pesach because this was something you were going to have to use once a year. Uh, you were going to... Uh, it wasn't something that most families would remember by heart. And it wasn't something you could easily memorize. So most families had a manuscript of Birkat Mazon, therefore Birkat uh, oh, sorry, of Haggadah Shal Pesach, and therefore Haggadah Shal Pesach is one of the best sources for tracking down various changes in Birkat Mazon through the ages. However, we find so many minute variations that a that an exhaustive study would not be appropriate for for a forty five minute shiur. So we are going to. We're going to stay very surface level. If anybody wants to, to, to research this, compa compare word by word, uh, I'd recommend they do so and have fun. Uh, a good place to start would be at the appendix of Louis Finkelstein's article, which I will, I will share my screen with uh, in a few minutes. Okay, so first of all, the first three rules apply. Uh, Finkelstein's uh, rules of, of, uh, of assessing Birkatamazon, which typically uh, are, are good rules for Birkatamazon, first of all, which is that the oldest text is usually retained as the nucleus for a later formula because these things were, were remembered by heart. And therefore, where various versions differ, the part that is common to all of them is more likely to contain the original form. Uh, so if you have you know various versions, compare them side by side and just look for the words that are identical, and that usually contains the nucleus. Uh, and thirdly, that the briefest form is very often most akin to the original. And this is something we will find uh, to be very true. Very often in, in Jewish liturgy in general, and here in Mekat in particular. Okay, so we're going to go through this bracha uh, piece by piece. I'm going to share my screen in a minute here for, uh, so that we can see the seder of Sadia together, which is one of the earliest forms of it. And give me one second here. There was a Midrash I wanted to mention. Okay, yeah, I'm going to mention that in a second.
Okay, so let's look here at the text together. This is Seder of Sadi Gaon. You can find it in Hebrew books. This is page Kufbet or page 102. Let me share my screen. Here we go. Okay, so if we look here, the Seder of Sadi Gaon contains one of the briefest forms of uh, Birkata Aretz that we know and the briefest forms of Birkata Mazon in general. And that is because it is very, very, very authentic, very... Uh, uh, similar to the original, and that it has very few words, and it's very to the point. For he inherited to us the land which is desirable, good, and spacious. Brit v'Torah, right? It mentions what the Gemara says. Brit v'Torah, Chaimu Mazon, life and and Mazon. kulam anu modim lach, and on all those we give thanks. Short to the point, no embellishments whatsoever. Now, based on comparison between the text of Sadia Gaon and texts that were found in the Geniza, it seems very much that Sadia Gaon's influence here is very much from the Eretz Yisrael Nusach. That the Eretz Yisrael Nusach was virtually identical to that of Sadia Gaon. And it begins with Ki Hin Chaltanu, right? That adding that word Ki there and being very, very brief. When you get much later, uh, call it three, four hundred years later, we begin to find a divergence between the Palestinian rite, what they call the Palestinian, which is really the, the, the Nusach Eretz Yisrael, and the Babylonian rite, which is really the Byzantine, uh, so confusing, I'm sorry, but really the, the Nusach Habavli, which has more embellishments and was a little bit more like it will quote a pasuk, etc. So what happened was it, that the versions eventually took influence from each other and built a common version between uh, both the Nusach Svaradi and the Nusach Ashkenaz. And you have, well, today we have basically two versions, the Nusach and the, 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 the Ashkenaz and the Svaradi. They're not too different, they're different in, in small areas. But historically, as I'm going to show you in a few minutes, we have, um, there are more strains, many of them are extinct. You have the, the Italian, Provençal, the Balkan, uh, the, the Romaniot, which is the, the, the Jewish uh, Greek version. There's the, per, the extinct Persian version that, 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 was, that was said. So there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of versions that we're gonna have to look at, and we're not gonna look at them at, in, in uh, we're not gonna look at them at depth. I'm gonna show, I'm gonna share my screen for those who wanna look at the at the, the general gist of the difference of those nuschaot, and you'll you might get a better idea of how of how it developed. Okay, so first let's start with the first word. No, the first two words. No delchashem lokenu. And I don't know how how long we've been going. Let's see how much time we have. Okay, good. We have about 10, 20, 10, 15 minutes left. Okay, so let's look at the first words. No delchashem lokenu alshin Those words are thanks to you, Hashem, our God, that you have you have given to our forefathers as a heritage the Eretz Chava. So. Some of the early versions circulating in Western Europe did not say no delacha Hashem Elokeinu, rather they said no deka Hashem Elokeinu. And this was in the Sidurei Tzchaim and a, f- a few other Sidurim. And they got this influenced from the Maram Rotenberg, the Rebbe of the Rush. And the Maram <coughs> believed that no delacha was not really an appropriate way to say it. He preferred to say no deka. Uh, we give thanks to you, Hashem Elokeinu. Apparently, 
he 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 believed that the the way at least the way the tour frames it is because the reason he preferred that is because no delacha would sound like you're praising some other person and then you say Hashem alokenu alshin chatelavotenu and the achronim don't really seem to understand the later like what why why would you think no delacha would mean we are praising somebody else however there is perhaps a refuge for his um, for his statement. And that is, if you do look at some of the earlier versions, not the ones that are uh, particularly Western European, but if you look at the Greek, or if you look at some of the, uh, who else does this? I'm trying to think. Like the Persian versions, and I'll share my screen here, and the, even the Moroccans have this in some Sidurim till today, you'll find a very interesting thing. That the bracha doesn't start with Nodelacha Hashem Elokeinu. Here I'll quote the, 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 the Romaniyot version. It begins with on our land and on our nachala. Let's scroll down to the Persian version. Uh, oh, that rhymes. The Persian uh, write, etc. So clearly it is possible that if a person was adding that introduction, of of then it might sound like you were addressing somebody else that wasn't God. So that is clearly a possibility. Okay. The next thing we'll see here is Chemda Tovar right? We call the land Eretz Chemda. So this was something Abeliezer said, if you don't say Eretz Chemda Tovar you are not Yotze. And it is quite possible that the word that he is attacking here is chemda, that if you don't say chemda, you're not yotzei. And the reason for this, as suspected by two or three researchers, is because if you look in the Midrash in Masay, in Tanchuman Masay, and if you look in the Midrash in Sifrei, in Dvarim, you will find an alternative way of structuring those words. And I'll just share my screen here for a second to compare the two. Let me... Right. Yeah. Let me let me share my screen here. This is uh, Dvarim uh, Sifrei Dvarim, paragraph forty-three. Here we go, Mem Gimel for the Hebrew folk. Right. We kach amar lahem Hakadosh Baruch Hu hechnasti atchem leeretz tova urechava leeretz zavat chalavu duvash lechol merpiav lesmol bitova ulevarich shmi aleha aleha. Sounds like it's quoting Berkat Hamazon that I brought them to an eretz tova urechava, but it doesn't say the word chemda. Similarly, in the Midrash Tanchuma. We'll have here, Amar Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Here we go. We have uh, the the Tanhuma was a little bit later though. The Tanhuma most likely was redacted in the fifth to eighth centuries. There were different versions of the Midrash Tanhuma, but it's probably not not fully put to, into manuscript form until later in the Gaonic times. But here, when we have something much later than the Sifrei, we already find. So we already have Midrash from a few hundred years later, including Chemda. So by a comparison of two Midrashim, which are hundreds of years apart, we can see that most likely Rebbe was attacking the lack of the word Chemda. Now, where does the word Chemda, where, where did this, is this language borrowed from? So Eretz, uh, Tovaru Chava comes from the Pasuk in Shemot Gimul Chet, where Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu that he's going to be rid 
Otam, that Hashem says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down and I'm going to take them out. This is an explicit pasuk. Let me just read it. And the pasuk, <coughs> and Chemda comes to the pasuk in Yirmiyah, where Yirmiyah says, where Hashem tells Yirmiyah, that's where the Rishonim, at least Tamidei Rabbeinu Yonah, quote that, that these, that these uh, phrases are borrowed from. So the Midrash Arba, I'm just going to mention this, says, uh, interestingly, that there's three reasons why it's called Eretz Chemda. First of all, it's coveted or desirable because Hashem chose it for, for the Beit HaMikdash and brings Pesukim to, to prove that. Second of all, because many kings ward, uh, ward over the land, even though it's a narrow strip of land, so it's a desirable land. Third of all, because the Avot coveted and desired to live there, therefore, or to be buried there, <coughs> and therefore it is also considered Chemda to them. The Shiboli Halekat brings from his brother yet another reason that he said perhaps it's called Eretz Chemda because Yehoshua saw Moshe Rabbeinu Alava Shalom. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu uh, desired to be to live it to be in the land and walk the land. So because Yehoshua was the one who who instituted the bracha, he and he saw Moshe Rabbeinu uh, desire to live in the land. Therefore, we should say Eretz Chemda Tovaruch Haba. Okay, a little further. Um, here we have in the Sfaradi version, some will say Brit Vitorah, right? Chaimu Mazon. Some will omit Brit Vitorah. And the reason for this is because many versions also say later, right? On the bris which you have uh, uh, sealed on our, on our flesh and the Torah which you have taught us. So saying it twice is redundant. And most. From most of the data we have, if we look, if you look and compare the early forms of Birkat Hamazon, and you really uh, sit down and do it um, uh, <laughs> fastidiously, you will find that the you will find that the early ones had one of one or the other. That either they would say Brit Torah or they would say Brit Chashachatam Tevisarenu. Later versions began having both. So we see this cross-pollination. Some of them were, you know, some of the versions were, were some, in some versions they rejected saying Brit Torah because of the second mention, and some of them rejected the second mention because they already had the first mention of Brit Torah. So that is basically a natural evolution of the bracha that some versions would have it, some versions would not. Today the Ashkenaz follow the Rush, where they say Brit Chashechtam Tevisarenu, but they don't say Brit Torah, and, and you'll find that the Sfaradim will say either both or they'll only say Brit Torah. Many different uh, versions here. Okay, a little further. We have Al that he brought us out of the land of Egypt and he redeemed us from the house of slaves. So, because we saw no mention of this anywhere in the Gemara, we don't have any mention of it in the Midrash, and the first place we see this is, I believe, in the Seder of Amram, uh, no, perhaps, sorry, Machsor Vitri. It is almost certain that this edition was much later, that it happened after the era of the Amoraim, somewhere in the, in the Italian or the, the German rites of, uh, of Western Germany. And somehow this Nusach of, of Al Shetanim entered into the general uh, Nusach for everybody. And so much so that I believe, and I hope I'm not misspeaking here, even the version of the Rambam. Let's see, yeah, even the version of the Rambam already has. So clearly, 
it wouldn't just be Italian, I guess. It would also be a version that occurred sometime in the Babylonian rites and trickled down to everybody else. What it's doing, if you think about it, is that it's just going through the history, saying first Hashem gave us the land, right? In the schut of Brit and Torah. Then he took us, he, for he promised us the land, sorry, in, in, uh, in the merit of the Brit and Torah. Then he, gave, he took us out of the land of Egypt and he, and he redeemed us from a house of slaves. And then he commanded us to do Brit Milah. And then he gave us the Torah. So the Yaivitz actually goes into this, in the particulars of the order here. He says that, first of all, if you look at it, it says, Al that you, you gave to our forefathers, meaning that it was Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov who merited this inheritance of the land, which then is inherited father to son for the Jewish people. But by Yitzhak Mitzrayim, it doesn't say it in the third person. It says it in the first person, plural. It says that you took us out of Egypt. And he says this is based, it seems that he's saying that this is based on, on the Haggadah Shal Pesach, where it says, Behold over Adam, that a person has to, to envision as if he himself left Mitzrayim. And therefore, we say it in the first person plural that Hashem took us out of, of uh, Mitzrayim. And then when he took us to the land, he says the, the, after the Tzid Mitzrayim, he, when he took us into the land, this is famous that Yeshua was, uh, was commanded in the Mitzvah Priya. Uh, besides for the regular Brit Milah and the Val Torah Shalom Adetanu would be an, an, eternal, an eternal blessing. Okay, so that would be in the order, uh, apparently somewhat order of history, and that's why that language continues as such. A little further here, we have Val Chukeru Sonach again another embellishment of, of this idea that, 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 that Hashem taught us the Chukim, made known to us the Chukim, so it's like a merit that we don't understand or learn them, but or we, we can't really learn them, but we're made known about, uh, we, we are made known of them. For the life and the sustenance which you provided for us. Again, it's suspicious that perhaps this part about Chaim and Mazon was added later because we don't see any requirement in the Tanaim to say these words, so perhaps these are later embellishments. Now we have the statement of Rabbi Abba, meaning that we have to repeat our hoda'ah. We have to repeat our thanks. So it's not clear why Rabbi Abba requires that we have to say hoda'ah twice. He never gives a reason. None of the Rishonim suggest a reason. It is likely, and this is again myself suggesting, that the reason he wants you to repeat hoda'az because you want the chatima to be either me'en ha, you want you want the end of the bracha to be me'en ha-chatima. You want you basically want to get back on topic because the bracha is inherently trying to thank Hashem for the land. Therefore, you want to get back to the original topic, and and um, it would represent basically a recapitulation that because the bracha might go off tangent, therefore. We have to get back on track and speak about the topic we were just speaking about. And therefore we say, So this would go this if this is true that Rabbi Abba said this, and it's true that Rabbi Abba is Rav. So again, this is two bridges to caught to cross, that would mean that already by the time of the early Amoraim, this bracha was developing to a point where the middle of the bracha already had many more topics. And that would tell us that the bracha might have gotten a little bit longer in the time of Rabbi Abba, 
and therefore there had to be some sort of recapitulation to go back to the original topic. Again, this is speculation, but this is a definite possibility that this is why he mandates Hoda'at Chilava Sof. Again, not certain, but definitely a possibility. Finally, let's discuss what is called the eulogy. The eulogy means the closing, the last part of the bracha, Baruch HaTah Hashem, Amazon. Right, this is the end. So I saw in the Masifta Sidur, they pointed out something which completely uh, missed my attention, which is that there is a discussion, we've, we've discussed this maybe two or three years ago, that there's this discussion in the Rishonim already about what do the words Baruch HaTah Hashem mean? Does it mean, blessed are you Hashem? Does it mean we bless you, Hashem? Does it mean you are all the source? You are the source of all blessings, Hashem? Right. So, what do the words Baruch Atah Hashem mean? And he, they they mention over there in the Masifta Sidur that the this eulogy, this doxology, whatever you want to call it, it poses a real problem for those who believe that Baruch Atah Hashem means that you are the source of all blessings, Hashem. Because typically we we give it we give a a, uh, a description of God. We say, Baruch Hashem, you are the source of all blessings, Hashem, Hazana Hakol, who provides for all. Rofei Cholei Yisrael, or you would say, uh, Goel Yisrael, you are the source of all blessings, Hashem, who, who redeemed the Jewish, who, who does rege- redeem the Jewish people, or who heals the Jewish people. But over here, it, that doesn't work. You can't say, you are the source of all blessings, Hashem, for the land and for the mazon. That doesn't work. It would only work if you were if if it if it actually meant blessed uh bless we bless you Hashem for the land and for the mazon. So this is the difficulty for that other way of understanding. But the words Baruch Hashem, I just thought that would be interesting food for thought. Now the Gemara and Dafmem Tetamur Aleph goes into a mentions a problem with this Nusach which is, and let me quote the Gemara if possible. Oh, I'm on the wrong page already. Hold up. Here we go. Rabbi Barafuna Iklala Beirish Gulata Patah Pachadava Sayim Bitarti. Amar of Chista Gvuta Lemechatam Bitarti. Right? So basically, uh, the story goes here that Rabbi Barafuna went to the house of the, of the president of the, of, the, of, of the Jewish contingency over there, the Reish Gulata. And he he opened with with one, and he ended the bracha with two, right? Meaning that he ended, I believe, in this scenario, it's talking about Moshiach Israel, uh, whatever. It might it might have been two topics at the end. So Rav Chista said, "Oh, that that takes a gutsy thing. You have to be have a lot of fortitude to end with two. Gufa Rebbe Omer Ein Chotmin B'Shtayim. Etve Levi Rebbe. Rebbe, the one of the last Tanaim said, Rabbi Yudanasi. He said. That a person may not end the bracha with two topics. You have to say one topic. Right? One topic. You can't end with two topics. So Levi asked Rebbe, but the, the, the bracha says, Al There's two different things. Rebbe replied, Eretz mazon. No, <laughs> it means the land which uh, itself provides sustenance. So he dodges that problem of chotmin bitarti, of being chotem b'shtayim. Now that's an interesting point that Rebbe himself, who lived in Eretz Yisrael, believed so strongly that you cannot end a bracha in Chotmin B'Shtayim because the Yushalmi Nuschaot that we're aware of were not concerned for this. If you look in the Talmud Yushalmi and you look at many of the brachot from the, from the Talmud Yushalmi and from the Yushalmi rite, their 
uh, minhag, they, they, this was not their misorah. Their minhag was clearly that you were allowed to end the bracha b'shtayim. You could totally end with two different topics. So it's not clear exactly why Rebbe, who himself lived in Eretz Yisrael, would reject such a pre-existing minhag, but that seems to be the history. Uh, one last thing I will mention is that there is a minhag based on Yerushalmi brought in Rambam, Hilchot Brachot Perek Zayin Tedvav, Rambam says very simply, and if you're Ashkenaz and you've never seen this before, or if you're Sephardi and you find yourself in a Moroccan or a Syrian uh, Simcha, and they're doing this, there's this minhag where, really it's a halacha, that when if you're doing Berkat HaMazon Al HaKos on, uh, on a, uh, a cup of wine, which is halachically optional, then by al ha'aretz, by the berkat ha'aretz, you're supposed to add water to the wine in order to, to make it sweet for drinking or whatever whatever the halacha was based on in the Yerushalmi. So if you ever see this, uh, there's different minhagim exactly where in Nodelacha you're supposed to add the water, but this is definitely a real halacha. It, it's mefurash in Rambam, and uh, if you see it, that's where it comes from. Now before I end the shiur, I'm just going to do a courtesy to those who are uh, following along here in on on the Zoom, and I'm going to pull up again the the appendix in the back of Finkelstein's research to show you a comparison of the different rites as they um, as they went through the centuries. So let me show you what his opinions are. First, you'll see here on the right side, Nusach HaMikori. This is what he believes was the pre the, the early Tanaic version. Notice that there's no Brit Torah, there's no there, there's only Chemda. For some reason, he believes Chemda was there. Okay, this is what he believes is the early form. Then you have the the Eretz Yisrael form. This is based on what they found in the Karaganiza. Then you find an early form from the Karaganiza, which is much longer. Also, I don't know where this is from, but clearly in an in a early Karaganiza version of the Nodalcha, which includes Vinifarach, Malkenu, Vinishabekach, Yotzrenu, there's this poetic, almost rhyming stanzas that are added to Nodelcha. Most of those things eventually were deleted. One other thing you should notice here in the Nodalacha is that at the end they also have a prayer. May he avenge us quickly from our enemies. This is something we find in a couple of the early versions, but we don't find this in later versions. They, eventually it got deleted. Here again, Seder of, Seder of Amram will represent the Babylonian rite here on the right side, page 248. Um, much more similar to what we're familiar with today. You'll notice that in the modern Sidurim where they put the Al Hakol or they put it in a separate paragraph, but in early manuscripts, this wasn't the case. Uh, it was never considered a separate paragraph. And also in the earlier versions, it was Ve'al Kulam, uh, not so much Ve'al Akol. Uh, here, Siddur of Sadia, representing in the middle here, representing the is the Israeli rite. The Rambam here that has somewhat of a hybrid with the Kihin Chaltanu. Then he adds Hoshetanu Uptitanu Betabadim, which we can see that already developed over there. And he ends similarly to the way we do today. A little further down, we have uh, the Nusach Sfaradi, Romaniot, and uh, the, the Western European. So you'll look here on the right side that the early Spanish one has some, some features we're familiar with today, right? Right, M- uh, a more simpler, more pure form that is, that is uh, typical of the Catalan or the, or the more, si- or the more uh, pure form of the Spanish uh, liturgy. 
You have the Romaniot, which begins Al Artenu Val Nachalatenu, and then it goes into a poetic Nefarach Malkenu Nadrach Moshienu Vedam Lichach Malkenu Melech Yachid Chialamim Sharzita Ben Chalta Tavotenu, etc. A little further down, uh, the the Ashkenaz one is not too interesting because it's mostly similar to what we have today. And this, I will point out here that there are there are things in the Romaniot which we don't have so much today, borrowed from 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 of Amram Gaon Chonenu Malveh, right? That's borrowed from of Amram at the end. Okay, that's also an interesting thing. Lastly, what do we got here? At the end of the Romaniot is, is a little longer. They also contain Again, asking for vengeance. It seems that the Romaniot is one of the longest ones, probably because they retained more and more editions over the ages and they refused to delete things, even if they no longer became relevant, such as Vehina came Lanu Mitzarenu, probably in some sort of historical thing that got added to Nodelacha. And lastly, we have what he calls Sfardi B, which is the, the, the later Spanish edition, which became more popular in the Northern African rites, which is very similar to what you can find today in Sfardi Sidurim here on the right side. And lastly, here's the Persian. The Persian rite will say, And another interesting feature of the Persian is, They they point out that it was, you know, that it was Moshe Rabbeinu. Then they say, instead of So fascinating stuff. Uh, I believe there was one rite here which also went a little bit deeper into how much they hated their enemies. I'm not finding it right now with my eyes. But... Maybe in the future I'll find it. There is a, there is a version which goes all out on the uh, on uh, how much their oppressors are 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 bothering them. But okay, so it's this so so much will end it for our coverage of Al Haaretz Valamazon of the second Brachat Berkat Hamazon. It's a fascinating evolution. Uh, your sidur is the right nusach. Okay, don't yell at me. Yours is right. Yours is the correct. Well, they're all beautiful. As long as they say, Torah they contain all of the required things and they don't say anything wrong. If you say your Sidur's version and you like it that way, you are Yotzei. It is a beautiful version. And, this, and um, we will continue next week with the Birchat Bonei Yushalayim, the Bracha, which focuses on the history, uh, on, the, on the speciality of, uh, of uh, Yushalayim and, and uh, the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash.